Chapter fourteen, part two of Kokoro Hints and Echoes of Japanese Inner Life by Lafcadio Hearn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter fourteen Some Thoughts About Ancestor Worship, part two. Section four. If we think a little about our position as debtors and our way of accepting that position, one striking difference between western and far eastern moral sentiment will become manifest there is nothing more awful than the mere fact of life as mystery when that fact first rushes fully into consciousness out of unknown darkness we rise a moment into sunlight look about us rejoice and suffer pass on the vibration of our being to other beings and fall back again into darkness so a wave rises catches the light transmits its motion and sinks back into sea so a plant ascends from clay unfolds its leaves to light and air flowers seeds and becomes clay again only the wave has no knowledge the plant has no perceptions each human life seems no more than a parabolic curve of motion out of earth and back to earth but in that brief interval of change it perceives the universe the awfulness of the phenomenon is that nobody knows anything about it no mortal can explain this most common yet most incomprehensible of all facts life in itself yet every mortal who can think has been obliged betimes to think about it in relation to self i come out of mystery i see the sky and the land men and women and their works and i know that i must return to mystery and merely what this means not even the greatest of philosophers not even mr herbert spencer can tell me we are all of us riddles to ourselves and riddles to each other and space and motion and time are riddles and matter is a riddle about the before and the after neither the newly born nor the dead have any message for us the child is dumb the skull only grins nature has no consolation for us out of her formlessness issue forms which return to formlessness that is all the plant becomes clay the clay becomes a plant when the plant turns to clay what becomes of the vibration which was its life does it go on existing viewlessly like the forces that shape spectres of frondage in the frost upon a window-pane within the horizon circle of the infinite enigma countless lesser enigmas old as the world awaited the coming of man oedipus had to face one sphinx humanity thousands of thousands all crouching among bones along the path of time and each with a deeper and a harder riddle all the sphinxes have not been satisfied myriads line the way of the future to devour lives yet unborn but millions have been answered we are now able to exist without perpetual horror because of the relative knowledge that guides us the knowledge won out of the jaws of destruction all our knowledge is bequeathed knowledge the dead have left us record of all they were able to learn about themselves and the world about the laws of death and life about things to be acquired and things to be avoided about ways of making existence less painful than nature willed it about right and wrong and sorrow and happiness about the error of selfishness the wisdom of kindness the obligation of sacrifice they left us information of everything they could find out concerning climates and seasons and places the sun and moon and stars the motions and the composition of the universe they bequeathed us also their delusions 
which long served the good purpose of saving us from falling into greater ones they left us the story of their errors and efforts their triumphs and failures their pains and joys their loves and hates for warning or example they expected our sympathy because they toiled with the kindest wishes and hopes for us and because they made our world they cleared the land they extirpated monsters they tamed and taught the animals most useful to us the mother of kalervo awoke within her tomb and from the deeps of the dust she cried to him i have left thee the dog tied to a tree that thou mayest go with him to the chase they domesticated likewise the useful trees and plants and they discovered the places and the powers of the metals later they created all that we call civilization trusting us to correct such mistakes as they could not help making the sum of their toil is incalculable and all that they have given us ought surely to be very sacred very precious if only by reason of the infinite pain and thought which it cost yet what occidental dreams of saying daily like the shinto believer ye forefathers of the generations and of our families and of our kindred unto you the founders of our homes we utter the gladness of our thanks none it is not only because we think the dead cannot hear but because we have not been trained for generations to exercise our powers of sympathetic mental representation except within a very narrow circle the family circle the occidental family circle is a very small affair indeed compared with the oriental family circle in this nineteenth century the occidental family is almost disintegrated it practically means little more than husband wife and children well under age the oriental family means not only parents and their blood kindred but grandparents and their kindred and great-grandparents and all the dead behind them this idea of the family cultivates sympathetic representation to such a degree that the range of the emotion belonging to such representation may extend as in japan to many groups and subgroups of living families and even in time of national peril to the whole nation as one great family a feeling much deeper than what we call patriotism as a religious emotion the feeling is infinitely extended to all the past the blended sense of love of loyalty and of gratitude is not less real though necessarily more vague than the feeling to living kindred in the west after the destruction of antique society no such feeling could remain the beliefs that condemned the ancients to hell and forbade the praise of their works the doctrine that trained us to return thanks for everything to the god of the hebrews created habits of thought and habits of thoughtlessness both inimical to every feeling of gratitude to the past then with the decay of theology and the dawn of larger knowledge came the teaching that the dead had no choice in their work they had obeyed necessity and we had only received from them of necessity the results of necessity and today we still fail to recognize that the necessity itself ought to compel our sympathies with those who obeyed it and that its bequeathed results are as pathetic as they are precious such thoughts rarely occur to us even in regard to the work of the living who serve us we consider the cost of a thing purchased or obtained to ourselves about its cost and effort to the producer we do not allow ourselves to think indeed we should be laughed at for any exhibition of conscience on the subject and our equal insensibility to the pathetic meaning of the work of the past and to that of the work of the present largely explains the wastefulness of our civilization 
the reckless consumption by luxury of the labour of years in the pleasure of an hour the inhumanity of the thousands of unthinking rich each of whom dissipates yearly in the gratification of totally unnecessary wants the price of a hundred human lives the cannibals of civilization are unconsciously more cruel than those of savagery and require much more flesh the deeper humanity the cosmic emotion of humanity is essentially the enemy of useless luxury and essentially opposed to any form of society which places no restraints upon the gratifications of sense or the pleasures of egotism in the far east on the other hand the moral duty of simplicity of life has been taught from very ancient times because ancestor worship had developed and cultivated this cosmic emotion of humanity which we lack but which we shall certainly be obliged to acquire at a later day simply to save ourselves from extermination two sayings of ieyasu exemplify the oriental sentiment when virtually master of the empire this greatest of japanese soldiers and statesmen was seen one day cleaning and smoothing with his own hands an old dusty pair of silk hakama or trousers what you see me do he said to a retainer i am not doing because i think of the worth of the garment in itself but because i think of what it needed to produce it it is the result of the toil of a poor woman and that is why i value it if we do not think while using things of the time and effort required to make them then our want of consideration puts us on a level with the beasts again in the days of his greatest wealth we hear of him rebuking his wife for wishing to furnish him too often with new clothing when i think he protested of the multitudes around me and of the generations to come after me i feel it my duty to be very sparing for their sake of the goods in my possession nor has this spirit of simplicity yet departed from japan even the emperor and empress in the privacy of their own apartments continue to live as simply as their subjects and devote most of their revenue to the alleviation of public distress section five it is through the teachings of evolution that there will ultimately be developed in the west a moral recognition of duty to the past like that which ancestor worship created in the far east for even today whoever has mastered the first principles of the new philosophy cannot look at the commonest product of man's handiwork without perceiving something of its evolutional history the most ordinary utensil will appear to him not the mere product of individual capacity on the part of carpenter or potter smith or cutler but the product of experiment continued through thousands of years with methods with materials and with forms nor will it be possible for him to consider the vast time and toil necessitated in the evolution of any mechanical appliance and yet experience no generous sentiment coming generations must think of the material bequests of the past in relation to dead humanity but in the development of this cosmic emotion of humanity a much more powerful factor than recognition of our material indebtedness to the past will be the recognition of our psychical indebtedness for we owe to the dead our immaterial world also the world that lives within us the world of all that is lovable in impulse emotion thought whosoever understands scientifically what human goodness is and the terrible cost of making it can find in the commonest phases of the humblest lives that beauty which is divine and can feel that in one sense our dead are truly gods 
so long as we suppose the woman's soul one in itself a something specially created to fit one particular physical being the beauty and the wonder of mother love could never be fully revealed to us but with deeper knowledge we must perceive that the inherited love of myriads of millions of dead mothers has been treasured up in one life that only thus can be interpreted the infinite sweetness of the speech which the infant hears the infinite tenderness of the look of caress which meets its gaze unhappy the mortal who has not known these yet what mortal can adequately speak of them truly is mother love divine for everything by human recognition called divine is summed up in that love and every woman uttering and transmitting its highest expression is more than the mother of man she is the mater dei needless to speak here about the ghostliness of first love sexual love which is illusion because the passion and the beauty of the dead revive in it to dazzle to delude and to bewitch it is very very wonderful but it is not all good because it is not all true the real charm of woman in herself is that which comes later when all the illusions fade away to reveal a reality lovelier than any illusion which has been evolving behind the phantom curtain of them what is the divine magic of the woman thus perceived only the affection the sweetness the faith the unselfishness the intuitions of millions of buried hearts all live again all throb anew in every fresh warm beat of her own certain amazing faculties exhibited in the highest social life tell in another way the story of soul structure built up by dead lives wonderful is the man who can really be all things to all men or the woman who can make herself twenty fifty a hundred different women comprehending all penetrating all unerring to estimate all others seeming to have no individual self but only selves innumerable able to meet each varying personality with a soul exactly toned to the tone of that to be encountered rare these characters are but not so rare that the traveller is unlikely to meet one or two of them in any cultivated society which he has a chance of studying they are essentially multiple beings so visibly multiple that even those who think of the ego as single have to describe them as highly complex nevertheless this manifestation of forty or fifty different characters in the same person is a phenomenon so remarkable especially remarkable because it is commonly manifested in youth long before relative experience could possibly account for it that i cannot but wonder how few persons frankly realize its signification so likewise with what have been termed the intuitions of some forms of genius particularly those which relate to the representation of the emotions a shakespeare would always remain incomprehensible on the ancient soul theory taine attempted to explain him by the phrase a perfect imagination and the phrase reaches far in the truth but what is the meaning of a perfect imagination enormous multiplicity of soul life countless past existences revived in one nothing else can explain it it is not however in the world of pure intellect that the story of psychical complexity is most admirable it is in the world which speaks to our simplest emotions of love honour sympathy heroism but by such a theory some critic may observe the source of impulses to heroism is also the source of the impulses that people jails both are of the dead this is true we inherited evil as well as good being composites only still evolving still becoming 
we inherit imperfections but the survival of the fittest in impulses is certainly proven by the average moral condition of humanity using the word fittest in its ethical sense in spite of all the misery and vice and crime nowhere so terribly developed as under our own so-called christian civilization the fact must be patent to any one who has lived much travelled much and thought much that the mass of humanity is good and therefore that the vast majority of impulses bequeathed us by past humanity is good also it is certain that the more normal a social condition the better its humanity through all the past the good kami have always managed to keep the bad kami from controlling the world and with the acceptation of this truth our future ideas of wrong and of right must take immense expansion just as a heroism or any act of pure goodness for a noble end must assume a preciousness heretofore unsuspected so a real crime must come to be regarded as a crime less against the existing individual or society than against the sum of human experience and the whole past struggle of ethical aspiration real goodness will therefore be more prized and real crime less leniently judged and the early shinto teaching that no code of ethics is necessary that the right rule of human conduct can always be known by consulting the heart is a teaching which will doubtless be accepted by a more perfect humanity than that of the present section six evolution the reader may say does indeed show through its doctrine of heredity that the living are in one sense really controlled by the dead but it also shows that the dead are within us not without us they are part of us there is no proof that they have any existence which is not our own gratitude to the past would therefore be gratitude to ourselves love of the dead would be self-love so that your attempt at analogy ends in the absurd no ancestor worship in its primitive form may be a symbol only of truth it may be an index or foreshadowing only of the new moral duty which larger knowledge must force upon us the duty of reverence and obedience to the sacrificial past of human ethical experience but it may also be much more the facts of heredity can never afford but half an explanation of the facts of psychology a plant produces ten twenty a hundred plants without yielding up its own life in the process an animal gives birth to many young yet lives on with all its physical capacities and its small powers of thought undiminished children are born and the parents survive them inherited the mental life certainly is not less than the physical yet the reproductive cells the least specialized of all cells whether in plant or in animal never take away but only repeat the parental being continually multiplying each conveys and transmits the whole experience of a race yet leaves the whole experience of the race behind it here is the marvel inexplicable the self-multiplication of physical and psychical being life after life thrown off from the parent life each to become complete and reproductive were all the parental life given to the offspring heredity might be said to favour the doctrine of materialism but like the deities of hindu legend the self multiplies and still remains the same with full capacities for continued multiplication shinto has its doctrine of souls multiplying by fission but the facts of psychological emanation are infinitely more wonderful than any theory the great religions have recognized that heredity could not explain the whole question of self 
could not account for the fate of the original residual self so they have generally united in holding the inner independent of the outer being science can no more fully decide the issues they have raised than it can decide the nature of reality in itself again we may vainly ask what becomes of the forces which constituted the vitality of a dead plant much more difficult the question what becomes of the sensations which form the psychical life of a dead man since nobody can explain the simplest sensation we know only that during life certain active forces within the body of the plant or the body of the man adjusted themselves continually to outer forces and that after the interior forces could no longer respond to the pressure of the exterior forces then the body in which the former were stored was dissolved into the elements out of which it had been built up we know nothing more of the ultimate nature of those elements than we know of the ultimate nature of the tendencies which united them but we have more right to believe the ultimates of life persist after the dissolution of the forms they created than to believe they cease the theory of spontaneous generation misnamed for only in a qualified sense can the term spontaneous be applied to the theory of the beginnings of mundane life is a theory which the evolutionist must accept and which can frighten none aware of the evidence of chemistry that matter itself is in evolution the real theory not the theory of organized life beginning in bottled infusions but of the life primordial arising upon a planetary surface has enormous nay infinite spiritual significance it requires the belief that all potentialities of life and thought and emotion pass from nebula to universe from system to system from star to planet or moon and again back to cyclonic storms of atomicity it means that tendencies survive sunburnings survive all cosmic evolutions and disintegrations the elements are evolutionary products only and the difference of universe from universe must be the creation of tendencies of a form of heredity too vast and complex for imagination there is no chance there is only law each fresh evolution must be influenced by previous evolutions just as each individual human life is influenced by the experience of all the lives in its ancestral chain must not the tendencies even of the ancestral forms of matter be inherited by the forms of matter to come and may not the acts and thoughts of men even now be helping to shape the character of future worlds no longer is it possible to say that the dreams of the alchemists were absurdities and no longer can we even assert that all material phenomena are not determined as in the thought of the ancient east by soul polarities whether our dead do or do not continue to dwell without us as well as within us a question not to be decided in our present undeveloped state of comparative blindness certain it is that the testimony of cosmic facts accords with one weird belief of shinto the belief that all things are determined by the dead whether by ghosts of men or ghosts of worlds even as our personal lives are ruled by the now viewless lives of the past so doubtless the life of our earth and of the system to which it belongs is ruled by ghosts of spheres innumerable dead universes dead suns and planets and moons as forms long since dissolved into the night but as forces immortal and eternally working back to the sun indeed like the shintoist we can trace our descent yet we know that even there the beginning of us was not infinitely more remote in time than a million sun lives was that beginning 
if it can truly be said there was a beginning the teaching of evolution is that we are one with that unknown ultimate of which matter and human mind are but ever-changing manifestations the teaching of evolution is also that each of us is many yet that all of us are still one with each other and with the cosmos that we must know all past humanity not only in ourselves but likewise in the preciousness and beauty of every fellow life that we can best love ourselves in others that we shall best serve ourselves in others that forms are but veils and phantoms and that to the formless infinite alone really belong all human emotions whether of the living or the dead end of chapter fourteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine